Well, good morning, friends. It's good to see everyone here this morning, and I always want to take a moment, look in that camera during this service, welcome those on the other side there who are at home this morning. Well, hey, welcome to part three of our series, Identity. There it is. You aren't who you think you are. And I've had a lot of conversations since the new year over this series. And what I've realized is even as followers of Christ, we struggle with who we are. There are things that perhaps in our past or in our own experiences that we think define us and who we are. And um, I really felt the Lord gave me a word to bring to you guys this week. And we're going to do something a little bit different this morning, but that's all right. But before we get into that, real quick, can you show that, that baptism picture really quick? Um, next week, we get to celebrate this. And we normally have a higher energy type of worship set because it's a celebration. I love this picture. And my wife leaned over and said she loved it. Do you see the joy on all of our faces? Come on, that's awesome right there, right? That's, I just, you're like, why do you worry about baptism? Because I, baptism is, as Pastor JB said, baptism's that one moment where it's literally as I'm going public with my faith. Right? A lot of times our own declaration and in, in inviting Jesus into our lives and committing and surrendering ourselves to our lives is a private decision between you and God. You made that prayer. But this is the one event that God calls us to go public with. If you are wondering, Ryan, is that my next step? Let me answer this for you. Or let me ask you this question as an answer. Have you accepted Jesus Christ in your Lord as, as your Lord and Savior? And maybe you have. So my follow-up question is this, have you been baptized? And if the answer is no, that's your next step. Don't overcomplicate it. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Very clear in scripture, salvation, bat water baptism, that's your next step. So hey, many of you may say, oh, I'm not signed up. You can still get signed up. You can go to the radiantlife.church right now on the homepage, there's get baptized. It's, I'm so excited because we're going to do things little different next week, but it's going to be fun for us, right? And we're going to just worship and have a great time together. And we're going to celebrate lives, lives who have said, hey, I once was this, and now this is my new identity in Jesus Christ. And we're going to celebrate that. And it's going to be fun, and it's going to be wet up here, and it'll all be good, all right? But hey, all right, can you go back to the title slide? I just needed to say that. There's joy. All right. You guys doing all right this morning? Yeah, real quick, I want to ask, um, how many of you think this has been an awesome winter? You like the mild winter. Anyone online? Yeah? All right, move to Florida. God bless you. <laughs> That's where the warm weather is. Uh, no. Uh, how many of you are like, this is a lame winter. How many of you are, wow, way more in this service. Good for you. Yeah, I, I, I run with this theory. Is Michigan, we have four seasons. Let's enjoy all four of them. Right? So if it's going to be cold, it might as well be beautiful and snowing out there. And if it's not going to have snow, then it might as well be 70 degrees. Right? Michigan can't make up its mind this week. Right? It's just like, does it really want to snow? Is it not? It's kind of snowing right now, but like barely. It's just weird out there. All right? Hey, identity week three. I really felt like this is what I was to bring. And again, we're going to do things a little different than what you are adjusted to the last two weeks or what I normally bring to you. But we struggle with defining who we are. Whether you have followed Jesus for a week or whether you have followed Jesus for 60 years, there are times where we struggle with who we are as an individual. And here's what we do. We define who we are 
by what we do instead of what Jesus has done already on the cross of victory. We do. We define ourselves by looking and sit there and go, I'm the past, I'm those mistakes, I'm the failures, I am all of that. And that's how we define ourselves or that's the way we look in the mirror and that's who we see. Instead of literally going, no, what Jesus Christ paid on the cross when he had your, your name on his heart and his mind. Sits there and says, I have clothed you in righteousness now. In other words, when our heavenly father looks at you, he does not see your mistakes. He sees you are clothed in Jesus Christ. And we need to understand, and every day when we look into the mirror, sit there and go, I see a daughter of God. I see a son of God. And not the mistakes that the enemy wants to throw at you. And sit there and say, but that's what you did. And I think so often we got to rise up to the occasion and tell the enemy of our souls, Satan, you know what? You can stay in hell because Jesus Christ died for me and he came to give me an abundant life and I am marked by his spirit. That's who I am. I'm covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. I was reminded of a verse in Revelation, the last, very last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And this is kind of where the foundational verse of where we're going to go with this identity issue uh, in today's teaching. And it reads this way. They, can we read this one word together? They triumphed. Victory. Overcome. They triumphed over him, referring to the enemy of your soul, Satan. How do you overcome Satan? By the blood of the lamb. In other words, it's what Jesus Christ paid on the cross. It's his shed blood, your forgiveness of your sins. You're clothed in righteousness now. That's how you overcome. But then John, who wrote this letter, says, and the word of their testimony. The two are powerful together. We have what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and I, the forgiveness of sins. He shed his blood and his body was broken for you and I. But here's the beautiful thing. You and I are changed when Jesus enters into our lives, when we're marked by the Holy Spirit. And now you and I have testimonies. We have stories of reminding who we once were and how we're following Jesus now. And those two combinations are a powerful thing. I think the biggest, one of the biggest issues in capital C church, I mean, the church in the world, is we're sometimes afraid of our story, aren't we? We're afraid to tell someone else, maybe perhaps our mistakes and what we've done. We hold those secret sins to the side and we don't want anyone to know. We want to put on, if you will, this persona, right? I think there is beautiful when the body of Christ, when believers come together and say, I don't have it all together and I need help and I need Jesus more than ever. And I think there is power when you hear people's stories of where they once were and where they are now that can be so relatable to each and every one of you today. So what I'm going to have is I'm going to ask Pastor Karen and Pastor JB to come on stage and we're going to have a little conversation with the two of them. I really felt like this past week, um, I, I'll be honest, I kind of sprung it on them last minute, you know, I just like, I, I don't like flying by the seat of my pants, but I felt like in this moment, we may have flew by the seat of our pants, but that's all right on this, because they were willing and um, their boss told them they had to do it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I did not tell them they had to do it. I said, tell me, say yes and pray about it later, but I didn't say that either. I just said, let me know. Um, but I really felt like you, you don't need to hear from me. I speak enough. You don't need to hear from me. 
I really felt like you need to hear from some of our staff members and their own story, a little bit of their story, not their whole story, and the wrestling of their own identity. And so real quick, while they are already on stage, um, I want to do a quick review of last week because it's going to set up some of the questions I throw at them. But so often that we identify who we are by who we see in the mirror. And last week we had said that, you know, you have this mirror of failure. Some of us, we've made horrible mistakes in life and we sit back and we look at that and we, this mirror is screaming at you, I am what I did. And you're wrestling with it. Still, even after last week's message, if you were here and you heard it, you are still wrestling with it today. And that mirror is screaming at you. For some of others, it may be the mirror of rejection. Some of you, this mirror screams at you, I'm not wanted or loved. You've been rejected by a family member, a coworker, a friend, whatever that may be, but it is screaming at you right now. For others of you, the mirror of social pressure, which says, I am who they say I am. You fall under the pressure of what a parent said to you in second grade or a teacher said in fourth grade or a coach said to you while you were playing varsity sports or even perhaps what social media is actually screaming at you. You're believing that. And lastly, it's the mirror of inferiority. And this mirror just screams, I'm not enough. I'm not good. I'll never be that good parent. I'll never be that good coworker. I'll never be that good friend. I'm not good enough. And so, I kind of shared a little bit about my own struggle. I, I look in the mirror and I, I put two things to get together this past week that Holy Spirit led me. As I said, I struggled last week. I gave you a little bit of that social pressure when I was in fourth grade. I won that award and then you all laughed at me because I won an award in fourth grade. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Hurt me deeply. Anyways, <laughs> you know, just that idea of that award was for those that just won't make it in life, right? So we might as well give them an award now because they're not going to turn out to be anything. And um, I realize one of my biggest fears, and I'm not a fearful person at all. Like, I don't, I just, I'm not fearful, but I hate failing. And I realize it's because I've been looking at that mirror that was told to me in fourth grade and sit there and say, I have to prove myself, so I hate to fail. I hate it. So I realized this last week, I also look at the fear, or the, the mirror of failure, I don't like to fail, and when I do, I said, you're right. What was spoken to me in the mirror of social pressure when I was a fourth grader is reflecting in this mirror as well. And so I'm going to be quiet and just guide the questions to Pastor Karen and Pastor JB and ask the question. I mean, I I shared a little bit of mine. What about you guys? What, What mirrors do you wrestle with, even still today? Oh, by the way, Pastor Karen is our prayer pastor, if you don't know. I forgot to mention that last time. So she's our prayer pastor, and she will mention her husband, Harry. So if she ever says Harry, that is her husband, all right? And you all know Pastor JB, because he's in front of you every week. Good morning. When he, when he asked me, he, he had these four on, on a paper and uh, said, which one? And immediately I said, rejection which is interesting because probably my strongest one has been inferiority, um, was so loved as a child. Um, But firstborn, perfectionist, really struggled with uh, not being good enough. So my whole purpose uh, was to to be good. Uh, If I 
did something, uh, if I committed a sin or I did something, uh, I had to tell my parents immediately. Um, this is going to date me a little bit, but back when I was in, in church, there are certain things you, you do and you don't do. And I wasn't Catholic, but I went to prom with a guy who is Catholic. Well, first of all, we weren't supposed to go to dances. And second of all, I didn't tell my parents he was Catholic. And I was just a mess when I got home from the prom. I had to confess. So, so that gives you a little bit of, of yeah, I'm still considered uh, by my husband, you're just a little goody two-shoes. So, but this story isn't about the goodness of me, it's about the goodness of God. And, but my mother had uh, a lot of um, inferiority, a lot of negative things spoken into her, so even though we were loved, more was t uh, caught than taught, and I still struggled with, with being good enough. So rejection up until college probably was just the things like, oh, I, I, I didn't get a part in a play, those kinds of things, uh, but still struggled with you know, I needed to be good. I just needed to be good. Knew the Lord, uh, met him early on in my life, was in a church that talked about the Holy Spirit. So just had a lot of times where if I, if I hit a wall, um, just was taught how to surrender to the Holy Spirit. I'm so, so thankful for that in my background. So fast forward to college and uh, my late 20s, married. Uh, I find myself as a single mom of three children under the age of four and divorce papers in my hand. Probably the first time that rejection came in the form of not feeling loved. Some of you are there. Some of you have been there. I'm not going to go into that story. Now is not the time for that story, but the Lord was so gracious and um, restored our marriage, and I'm just so thankful. But that sting of rejection hangs on for a long time. And so to, to build trust, to come to the point again where I didn't feel like I was unlovable, didn't feel like I was a bad mom or didn't deserve to be married, you know, those things just hang on and the Lord has done a miraculous uh, work. I won't say that the enemy still doesn't try to come back at me with that, because he does. We are in warfare every day. We are. And so when we're talking about looking in the mirror and speaking the truth of, of what God says about us is so important because the enemy does not want you to live victorious lives. The, song, the second song we sang about, I mean, every word in that just resonated with me. I woke up in the night uh, praying and that just, that was what was in my heart, in my mind. And music has done that. So a lot of healing, uh, we've experienced a lot of things. Uh, we, our oldest daughter has struggled with her health since she's been 12, and I won't reveal her age because she won't be happy with me for that, <laughs> no. Um, she's so, much older than I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even older than JB, so that tells you how old I am. <laughs> and I've gotten a lot of ribbing about that this morning. All right, come on, you guys. Um, so a lot of things, but again, God is so gracious. But sometimes we forget when we hit that thing and, and it's hitting us head on, it's just really difficult. Um, but the thing that I, I still am struggling with is the rejection of my daughter-in-law. A little bit of backstory. Uh, our son went to Cambodia one summer with a friend, and three months later he said, you know, when I went to Cambodia, I got married. Um, this was an arranged marriage uh, to someone he did not know. Uh, she, she, when she finally got to the United States with her visa, uh, lived with us for 14 months because he deployed for Afghanistan 13 days after she arrived. 
taught her how to use modern appliances because she was the daughter of a rice farmer in the back country of Cambodia, taught her how to drive a car, thought we had a good relationship, um, and things went on. He, he came home, and uh, then they were expecting their first child, who was our first grandchild. And she, shortly before that uh, baby was born, emailed me and s accused me of all sorts of things. But the one thing she said to me, you just want to make yourself look good to other people. Do you hear how that would hit home to someone who is trying to be good, but I wasn't trying to be good to impress her. I was just trying to live my life in a normal way. Um, that's been 11 years ago. There have been times that we've been able to go down and visit them, uh, not to her satisfaction, where I just stayed in the bedroom the whole time so my husband and son could visit and they could be with our grandson. Things are better in that we have a relationship with Jonathan, who is 11, who is also experiencing rejection from his mother, so that really, really hard for me. Uh, our grandson, who's almost four in those three and a half years since he's been born, we've had one significant interaction with him. And so that's hard, because now I'm being told, you're not good enough to be a grandma. On Facebook, I posted a picture once, and she said, uh, put a post back, it said, you do not deserve to put that picture of my son on Facebook because you don't deserve to be a grandma. So that's something that I'm still dealing with, but, but and I'll, I know, I need to be shorter. Um, but how did I come around to viewing it? Jesus was rejected. Who am I to think that I will never in my life be rejected? His message just, it wasn't just his message, he was hated. He was hated so much that they put him to death. And that's not happened to me. So if my Savior knew how to deal with that with grace and love and compassion back, um, that's what I'm learning. Wow. That's what I'm learning. How about you, JB? Yeah, for me, uh, when Ryan showed us this list of things, I, I tried to be in the gray and say, all of them. <laughs> and uh, Ryan would not uh, let us uh, stay there. Uh, so I, I really felt like failure and inferiority were the things that I'm struggling with to this day. And a lot of it has to do like hearing my, my backstory. Um, some of you know that I was a drug addict for a lot of years, um, from 15 to 19, really, you know, just bad news, um, in and out of rehabs, overdosed, lived on a hippie commune out in the middle of the desert. I had surgery on my face because of my drug addiction. How many hippies are in a hippie commune? This was like, there was about 30 of us. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. yeah, it was a, it was a mansion. Galen knows it's the Baseline Mansion on Baseline Road in Phoenix. Why does Galen know? Well, he, he, knows, he knows where Baseline Road is, but yeah, it's outside of Phoenix. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I did everything to be, be sober inpatient, outpatient. I did uh, therapy, counseling, halfway houses, AA, NA, and CA. Um, and I, I really prayed when Ryan asked us to share this with you this morning, and uh, I really didn't feel like God was telling me to talk about that part of my story, because that's just part of it. I, I really felt like God was prompting me to be a little more uncomfortable, a little more vulnerable, and share with you about my story of how I came here to Radiant Life Church. Um, my wife and I, we, we got saved out of that drug culture, and immediately 
we got involved with a really, really great church. It was the church that I grew up in. Been there my whole life. Uh, my parents took me every Sunday, even when I was, you know, I'd come to, I'd come to church drunk and stoned. But it didn't matter. Uh, parents took me every Sunday, um, and I knew that God had called me to ministry. I knew he'd called me to full-time ministry. I just didn't know what that meant. And so I, I went to the church, this 20-year-old 20, uh, 20 kid, and I would do whatever. I'd clean toilets. I'd run a jackhammer. I'd do radio things. A I would jackhammer I did. at a church? Uh, yes. We had to chisel out a whole big deal to... Oh. to uh, put a handicap ramp in. Ah, gotcha. And so okay. that, yeah. How many of you have run a jackhammer before? It's like the worst. I mean, it's the worst. Yes, explains a lot. She's right. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I was at this church and I knew that God had called me to ministry and I, I played guitar before then. And so I started leading worship at the church and working at the radio stations and um, as I was being discipled and mentored at this church, it was kind of understood uh, from the lead pastor and even spoken in meetings that as my lead pastor was going to retire eventually, um, that I was going to take over the church, that I would be the lead pastor of this, this church. Uh, so that was my identity. That's who I was. It was what I was working for. I was going through Bible college, trying to be as faithful as I could. Uh, and we spent uh, 15 years uh, of our saved life at that church. Um, and what we found is early on when we first started going, there was like 600 people there. There was all sorts. I mean, we had divorce care, uh, drug and alcohol ministries. We had everything you could think of. Every night of the week, there was something going on. It was this beautiful, vibrant, healthy family of God. And we slowly, our pastors started introducing some ideas that were, they sounded like the Bible, Right? They sounded like something you'd hear in the Bible, but they were just a little bit off. And the way I describe it is like you can imagine a jet plane taking off from LAX and, and they're headed for uh, somewhere over the Pacific. We'll say Asia. Yes? Yes. <laughs> they're one degree off. You know, they get a thousand miles out to sea and one degree off at the beginning. By the time you get to your destination, you are out in space. You are, who knows where you're at? And that's what was happening to us. We didn't really know what was going on. We, had, we, were, we, we were enamored by this, this pastor. We were being taught the Bible, growing the best that we could. And slowly, 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 slowly being separated from Jesus. And we didn't even know it. We were deceived. We had taken lies into what we thought about God our Father. We took on a new identity. Our whole family did. Our whole family did. We worshiped on a different day of the week. We worshiped on Saturdays. We didn't uh, even celebrate um, Orthodox holidays. Christmas wasn't a part of my family until about five years ago. Some of my kids, that was our identity. That's who we were. And probably three years before we left, we began to see, God began to slowly open our eyes and we began to see like that that frog in the hot water it was getting too hot we were about to be destroyed and so I would go to these elders meetings as a pastor as a, as a staff member there and I would say there were 600 people here there's 50 people here no one's getting saved no one's getting baptized I can't even invite someone to this church I'm so ashamed and afraid they're going to be scared to death 
when they come in here. They're not going to know anything about what we're saying, what's going on. Something's unhealthy. Something is sideways. And needless to say, I was definitely uh, the burr in the saddle, right? I very quickly became the enemy. I was the youngest guy on staff. All these guys were older than me. They could have been my dad uh, easily, a lot older. And, and so it was the young punk kid coming into elders meetings, telling the old seasoned guys what to do. And, and we just kind of continued. Lisa and I just continued to see something's not right. Something's not right. Like we could see little bits of, of truth in what they were saying, but it wasn't completely true. And again, we were there uh, for 15 years, and that, that was my identity. That's, that was our identity. That's who we were. Yeah. First of all, thanks for just being real. <clears throat> it's so easy to get caught up in this and wrapping ourselves up in that's who we are. Talk about, both of you, talk about that, that turning point. Um, what was it? What was, what was that turning point for you? Well, when we were separated, um, God kept saying, give it to me. <laughs> I kept taking it back. Give it to me. Take, you're, not, you're all familiar with that, right? Where you, you give it to God and you take it back. But finally, and I, again, I've been taught about the Holy Spirit, about surrender, and it, it finally came to one Sunday morning. Um, and my dear friend Dorothy Barker uh, was praying with me, and I finally said, "No matter what, no matter no matter how this turns out, good in my eyes or bad in my eyes, uh, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you." And that was a turning point that broke, um, that allowed a miracle to take place uh, in me and in my husband. Um, with my daughter-in-law. It was just, it's interesting because Harry said to me, I mean, I was just broken. I was so broken by the way I'd been treated. I mean, my grandson at one point had been snatched out of my arms as a baby. And he's very wise. And he says, you know, this isn't something I can really get and understand as a mom and a grandma. He says, you're going to have to um, depend on your friends, your girlfriends to help you through this. And they did, godly group of women, and we just prayed through, and we just prayed through, and it's just that surrender, and it still is a daily surrender. It's a daily surrender, not, not daily for that in particular, but when I, I start to have feelings that aren't the feelings I should have, uh, not compassion and love, uh, I just have to give it to the Lord, because uh, it's hard. It's, it's still a very hard and hurtful thing, but... Um, He's generous, he's gracious, and um, you just got to keep it at his feet. Yeah. How about you, JB? Yeah, for us, uh, the big turning point was, um, some of you may or may not know, my great-grandfather was the athletic director at Notre Dame. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Go Irish. We have very rich heritage at Notre Dame. My, my, my grandfather's office is glassed off, and we've got tickets on the 50-yard line. So we grew up going to football games, um, and college football happens on Saturday. Saturdays, right? Yes. Oh. Wow. One faithful wow. servant in here. Wow. So 
we, we felt like we hadn't been to a game in many, many years. And I felt like, you know, we kept a seventh-day Sabbath. That was the law at our church. And uh, I produce radio, TV, and podcasts for a living. That's what I do for work. I thought, I'm not going to be doing any of that. And so we decided to go to a Notre Dame game. And we had a great time. It was just such a blessing. You know, it was just good family time. You know what I mean? And I, I came back to church, uh, and I was put under church discipline. So Matthew 18, for those of you that are familiar, I was told that I had discounted my testimony and that I couldn't uh, serve as a worship leader anymore at the church because of breaking the Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath. So for us, that was a turning point. And we knew that we had been struggling for about three years up to that time, knowing something wasn't right. Um, but that, that for us was that line in the sand. And we knew, we knew that God had, we'd done everything we could. We wanted to be, stay as long as we could to be faithful and to love the people that were there and try to see the ship righted, so to speak. And so we stuck around. But that event was, was really the turning point, And we never went back. We never uh, spoke to them again. And these were our friends and our family, uh, all that we had known for 15 years. Um, another similar turning point to the story of being here was, you know, we're broken, we're hurting, we've been out of the church two months, honey, three months, something like that. And uh, Becky and Mickey Schultz, who attend church here, they've been here a long time, they invited us to a worship night. Johnny Davis was leading worship, Lori Schrock was on piano, and I, there was probably a couple of other people I don't remember. Yeah, Karen, maybe Harry was even singing, and uh, it was when the gross red carpet and the pews were in here. Remember that? It wasn't that long ago. And I was sitting right back there, and uh, I just, we just began to sense the presence of God. We began to sense healing. We began to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit through Pastor Ryan, and we just said, we're just going to sit in this for a little bit. And we did. You know, we, we enjoyed the worship and we enjoyed uh, the connection. And I went out into the lobby here and Mickey Schultz, he's a, he's a guy of not very many words, but when he says something, it's a good idea to listen. Uh, he's, he's a mentor to me in my life. And, and he squared up and he said, I think you're supposed to lead worship at Radiant Life Church. And as soon as the words came out of his mouth, I just started laughing. Like, no, no, no. No, I'm not going to do that. And he squared up with me again. He said, no, I'm serious. I think that God is calling you to do this. And I didn't know. We just got done with a, a series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The, the Lord had given a word of knowledge to Mickey a year and a half before that. And he told him, he spoke to him, Josh Brown is going to be the worship pastor at Radiant Life Church. But we were in a cult like stuff you see on TV, cult, when God spoke this word to Mickey. We hadn't spoken to Mickey in 10 years. I hadn't even seen him, didn't even, no connection. And so we just began to pray. We began to say, you know, maybe, maybe God has something for us. Weeks would pass. We decided to come and listen to Ryan. We're like, hey, maybe we got to see if this guy will teach the Bible. I mean, if he doesn't teach the Bible, we don't want to go there. <laughs> and he did. Five weeks, six weeks, we just kept coming. Like, oh, man, something's happening. There's something going on here. And so they came to, to my studio, and Ryan and Josh interviewed me, and I, I got the job at Radiant Life. So for me, it's been, it's been moment by moment serving under a new pastor. And one of the things that I have to say to myself, I say it a lot, Ryan is not wrong. That was my pastor. 
he won't treat me. Sorry. I cry at Hallmark cards. <laughs> Do you watch the Hallmark Channel? <laughs> oh, you're done. Um, <clears throat> we're landing the plane here. I just want you guys to speak real quick. Um, talk about this new identity now, right? I mean, we still may wrestle and find ourselves in certain postures where we're looking in a certain mirror, but... Um, how do you see yourself now? I have an identity declaration written on paper. I know. It should be on my phone, but it isn't. Um, <laughs> I have to remind myself that chair time, remind myself daily. I'm a daughter of God, redeemed by Jesus Christ, loved, pursued, and chosen not rejected, chosen, equipped with words of life, clothed in strength from him, in dignity from him, commissioned here and now, gifted by the Spirit, forgiven and unbound, blessed is the person who believes. Just need to remind ourselves, because that is truth. That is truth. Amen. 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 That's good. That's good. Yeah, for, for me, it, it's pretty similar uh, to what, what Karen shared. I, I, I'm able now to say that God has called me and made me to be a pastor. He's called me to shepherd the sheep of God, and it, right now it's through leading worship. He's called me and made me to do it. There was a time in my life where I really questioned that, but being here at Radiant Life, I know it, and I'm going to mess up throughout the week, and I'm going to fail, and and be inferior and, and, and succumb to social pressures. I'm going to, but that's not who I am. Amen. That's not who I am. Yeah. You guys have done an awesome job encouraging and supporting them through this time, but can we give one last round of applause? Thank you. Thank you guys so much. I'm closing with this. We're struggling. And I wonder if that's not the number one tactic of the enemy of our soul. Get them to think there's something that they're not. And I felt this one word this week for you. You know, we talked back in November and December about the Holy Spirit and um, there's gifts of the Holy Spirit, and one is prophecy, which is a word of encouragement. And every single Sunday, you receive a prophecy, a word of encouragement through me to you. I really felt the Lord was telling me to remind them. He loves you. <laughs> remind them how much I love them. Power of testimony and through story of heartache and brokenness. By the time they walk out of this room, I want them to know how much I love them. 
I want you to look in the mirror every single morning and sit there and go, I am a loved daughter of God. I am a loved son of God. That's who's fighting for you. Who's chasing after you with his love. No matter what you did last night or 40 years ago, he wants to shower you with his love. And Paul writes to the Christians in the city of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, and he says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, and how deep his love is. I pray that you would experience that. That as Pastor JB said, yeah, you're going to experience more times of rejection. Pastor Karen nailed it. Jesus was rejected. You're going to experience times of pressure and feeling like you're never good enough. Moments of absolutely failing. But God wants to remind you that no matter what you face in life, his love will cover it all. I love the passion translation of this verse, and it reads this way. Then you will be, what's this one word, friends? You will be empowered. Oh, I pray, I was praying yesterday for you. You would be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences. The great magnitude of this astonishing love of God. The love of Christ in all of its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. No one is out of the reach of the love of God. No one is. And you aren't either. He goes on. How enduring. His love will go through hell and back with you. It will endure all trials and temptation and the pain that you experience. His love is there. And inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. I pray that the love of God would pour into your life. That every morning you wake up and look at yourself in the mirror or midday or in the evening, you are overflowing with the fullness of God. I may have made that mistake. I may have hit that turmoil. I may have done that thing, but that does not define who I am. I am defined by the love of God. There's one key thing though. Right before this verse, Paul says this, then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. And the resting place of his love will become your very source and the root of your life. May the resting place of God's love be the root of your identity. Two things. God's grace and love is bigger than your greatest sin. Your greatest mistake, your greatest failure, your greatest rejection. God's grace is bigger than that. God's love is bigger than that. We got to step out and walk into it.